Hey, welcome to this first week in a new series that we're starting called, Why Are You Hiding? Now we're gonna get to that in just a second, but I wanted to say I hope last week you had a fantastic Easter season with your family, and I hope you had a great time with us here at Church at Home. It was a fantastic worship service. Even Pastor Travis did a great job with his message. And so, I mean, Tyler. Uh, but I, I, want you to, I want you to know something. Tyler, in the middle of that message, was talking about the garden. You remember that part? If you were here last week with us, uh, he was talking about Jesus in the garden right after the resurrection and likened it to the garden in Genesis. And we're going to be back in that garden starting off this series called Why Are You Hiding? So I want to explain why we have that title. And my job today with this sermon is to kind of lay a foundation for this series and to give you a good idea of exactly what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. So why are you hiding? Now we're going to, we're going to find uh, the, our first text uh, back in Genesis chapter 3 uh, where, where we talk about the garden. Now Adam and Eve have just eaten of the tree. They've just sinned against God. And we're going to pick up there. Uh, this is uh, starting with verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And man said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. But then God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? of which I commanded you not to eat? Now, I find this passage fascinating on several levels. Uh, one thing I find fascinating is that, is that God is actually coming into the garden, and, and it's, it seems so personified. You know, he's walking through the garden, and it makes you wonder just how personable it really was with him and Adam and Eve, that possibly he really did just come in, the, in a form and walk with them and talk with them. They were probably used to it. Can you imagine that? So their lives before the fall were just were incredible. I mean, they were, were created by God. They were in innocence. They were naked, eating fruit. I mean, it's good stuff. So this is where you find Adam and Eve, and then the sin comes into play. And what I find fascinating about this story as well is that God knows exactly what they did, but Adam and Eve hide from him as if they could. <laughs> but when God says just one statement, where are you? Which is interesting, he didn't have to ask the statement, he knew where Adam was, but it was giving Adam this responsibility to answer, and answer he did. And he said he was afraid, and he went and hid because of the sin that they had committed. Now this series, Why Are You Hiding?, comes from this text, but it's speaking specifically about what has happened there when it concerning Adam and Eve before God. The fact that they committed a sin, that they were guilty, and that they were very much ashamed and hid themselves. Boy, ever since then, because of sin in our lives, guilt and shame play huge roles in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we kind of uh, hold on to ourselves or deceive ourselves and trick ourselves sometimes to not live the life that we were meant to live. When it comes to living with God, sin has really distorted our, our worldviews. Sin has distorted our lives. And guilt and shame are very much a part of every, almost everything that we do. 
and, and in, in our lives. So we're going to talk about guilt and shame. Now, have you ever done anything that you regret? <laughs> that seems like a kind of a silly question, right? Because we've all done something we regret. The Bible says we've all sinned. <laughs> we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that is guiltless. So we, we are all guilty in that regard. We've done something. And we've also done things that, have, that make us feel ashamed. We've brought shame on ourselves or shame on our family or even shame on, this, on God himself because of the things that maybe we have done. Now, we're going to get into this and we're just going to scratch the surface today. Uh, but I want, to, I want to tell you a story about something. I, I wanted to confess something that I did. You know, one of those moments that, was ex- that I felt extremely guilty and, uh, and one of those moments I felt extreme shame. And, but at the same time, I don't want to lay into something uh, so terrible <laughs> for the, for, just to, uh, I don't know, maybe make my feel better about myself or something. But I, will, I want to tell you this story. I was playing tennis with a friend of mine in high school. Uh, he, was, he became a good friend. We, were, we lived in a small town, didn't really have much to do. And so Doug and I would hang out a lot and play different sports one-on-one. And Doug was a cool guy. I mean, he was the quarterback of our football team. He was a pretty popular kid in the school. Uh, but he was real nice and down-to-earth. And uh, I really enjoyed hanging out with Doug. And I don't know if you've ever seen in a tennis match, though, when somebody wins, uh, dating back, I think even you know way back when, uh, when somebody would win, it was kind of tradition to kind of run and jump over the net uh, in victory and celebration. So Doug and I were playing one day out of the community tennis courts, and Doug beat me. So he was thrilled. And so I'm standing by the net, and he comes running up and jumps over the net, you know, with his arms up in the air and his racket up in the air to celebrate. And right then... For some reason, I heard this little voice that said, pull up the net. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> I did. I, I tell you to this day, I don't, I'm not sure exactly why. I wasn't thinking all the way through this, of course. But I pulled the net up, and Doug hit it with his foot and went head first into the concrete. It was not a good situation. And he turned over, flipped over, and was just like, What? are you doing? And obviously he was mad. I mean, he should have been. <laughs> and I just told him, I don't know what came over me, Doug. I'm so sorry. I tried to help him up. Fortunately, he kind of forgave me. He didn't break any bones. That was helpful. And if I would have injured our quarterback of our high school football team, talk about shame. But anyway, all those things played into that event. I felt extreme guilt because I was actually guilty. I did something wrong. I mean, I I shouldn't have lifted the net on him. And then I felt guilty for that. And then I felt ashamed. You know, I just wanted to kind of go hide uh, because I, I, I had to face my friend, right, instantaneously. And not only that, but I had to go back to my school and face some other friends who I knew he was going to tell. You know what I mean? Now, that may be kind of a funny story. It may not seem like much. Unfortunately, Doug was a very forgiving guy and a very good friend, so it didn't amount to much. But you can kind of play that out in your own head when it comes to serious things in our life that we have done, that we are guilty for, and that we feel ashamed for. Now, let's, let's kind of parse these words out and talk about what the New Testament says a little bit concerning guilt and shame. What is guilt? Now, it's really interesting because the New Testament 
doesn't actually use the word or translate the word into guilt from the, from the original Greek very often. It's only used a few times, uh, guilt or, or guilty, uh, only used not, really not that many times, not as many times as you would think it might be used. Now, the Bible is packed full and insinuated with our guilt, and sin and guilt, the word sin almost becomes kind of a intertangled, intermingled with the word guilt. But when the word guilt is used, it's used in a very almost legal way, in a legal sense, meaning that someone who is guilty, you know, like in a court of law, guilty or not guilty, if you're found guilty, that means you've done something that is wrong or against the law. Now, I know that sounds really simple, but that's what guilt means. It means that you're responsible for some wrongdoing. Now, you and I, the Bible says, are sinners. Uh, we, are, we have done something against God. We have done something wrong. We're responsible for wrongdoing. Now, there are people who can, who can do things that are wrong and never feel sorry for it and never feel guilty. So to feel guilty means what? means that uh, I feel bad about the wrongdoing that I've done because I really have done something wrong. There are sometimes I even feel bad about things I haven't done wrong, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So when it comes to guilt and guilty, uh, that's what we're referring to, response, that we're responsible for something wrongdoing. Another way of putting it is this way, is that when you, when you think of guilt, think of this phrase, I did something bad. Now, I know that seems so simple, but we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, that's going to be very helpful for us as we start to go forward in this, in this message as we talk about shame a little bit later. So what is guilt? Is I have done something bad. So therefore, guilty feelings sometimes, if you think about it, can be good things that God gives us, not necessarily bad things. Uh, is it, it, now, we all know that sometimes guilt and feeling guilty can be, can be a bad thing and, and misplaced. But when we actually have done something wrong and we have sinned against God, guilt is a good thing. I've often explained it to, to kids as a youth pastor throughout all these years, is that have you ever touched a hot stove? I mean, that, it's not fun, that's for sure. And why isn't it fun? It's because it burns and you feel it burning. And why do you feel it burning? Because of nerve endings in your hand. Now, let's say you didn't have any nerves and you put your hand on a hot stove. You could burn your hand right off and never even feel it. Now, see, it would be worse for you not to have the nerves than to actually feel the pain. Guilt feelings, that's what they are. It's that pain. God gives us, it's by God's grace sometimes, I mean, it really is, that we even have any pain or a conscience, if you will, another way of saying it, when it comes to bad things that we have done, that leads us to finding a solution. So guilty feelings can be good. Uh, there are also some things that can be bad, like I said, if it's misplaced guilt. Now, uh, so when we think of guilt, we think of responsible for wrongdoing. We think of the fact that I have, I've done something bad. Uh, there are guilty feelings that are associated with it. Now, let's talk about shame. Shame is a, is a word and a concept in the scripture that's really a little bit more complicated. The word shame is used so many times throughout the New Testament. We're going to look at a couple passages here in a little bit. But I want to, I want to just kind of define it, if we can. Uh, shame is, are these incredible feelings of disgrace and embarrassment. I mean, when you feel ashamed, it's like you just want to hide, you know? A natural reaction to shame would be to cover your face. Or like an ostrich, put your head in the sand. You just want to hide. 
So, so to define shame as that and to understand shame as that, uh, that is not, that's kind of a simple way of looking at it. Shame can be put into all sorts of different contexts. And in the scripture, it is. Sometimes it's talked about how we can bring shame on other people, disgrace on other people of how, with our own actions. And so there, there are different kinds of, of shame, if you will. Uh, but I want you to think about it in this term, in comparison to guilt. Guilt is, I did something bad. And shame is more like, I am bad. See the difference? So both of these things play into our lives. And we can do so many things wrong to the point of where it feels so guilty, to, to where we feel ashamed, to where we don't even want to come before God Almighty because, because we are so ashamed. I am something bad. I am bad. Not just that I've done something bad. That's what shame is. And there are a couple different kinds of shame I want to talk about, and we're going to hit on through the course of this series, and you're going to hear it kind of implied in the other speakers and what they say. And these are going to be some really heavier topics. We're going to get to that in just a second. But here are the different kinds of shame I really want to talk about. One is there's this moral shame. Now, moral shame is, I think, the same as you could almost kind of liken it to guilty feelings. In the sense that when you feel bad or you feel ashamed for something you know you have done wrong. You know, when someone gets caught uh, doing something illegal or someone gets caught doing something really, really, what we would consider really bad according to society. When the news people come around, they're always hiding their face. They don't want to be seen by the cameras and so forth. Why? They're ashamed. That's moral shame more than likely. Now, there's another kind of shame I want to talk about, which is a shame that is in our world and so prevalent, and that is imposed shame. What that means is simply is this. In a way, with my friend, when I lifted up the tennis net and he tripped, I imposed shame on him. <laughs> he kind of looked at He's a cool guy, and now he's flying through the air, and he's landing on his face, and he's kind of looking around real quick to see if anybody saw it. So he was ashamed. That wasn't his fault. It was my fault. So that was imposed shame. Boy, is this real or in our lives or what? I mean, the, the actions of other people can impose shame upon our lives. And I, I, I tell you what, there are so many people, some of you and myself, we have been victims at times. Uh, to, to things people have done, some really dastardly, terrible things that people have done, and we have been, uh, we've had that shame imposed on us. So we've had these feelings of disgrace or embarrassment or worthlessness even because of the sin that's been committed against us. Now, we, re- we want to deal with guilt and shame in this series in a real serious way. Uh, because, and so therefore, here's what we're going to do. Some of the, the lessons that are coming up, the sermons that are coming up, are really going to be some interesting topics that are really going to help us try to root out that guilt and shame in our lives. Uh, the f- first, t- first topic next week is going to be on depression and anxiety. And the second topic, we're going to talk about is sexuality and all the shame and guilt that comes alongside of that and, it's, and the sins of sexuality as well. 
Then we're going to be also be talking about relationships in the last week of this series and the issues in relationships, and all the issues that can be caused in relationships and how shame and guilt comes into play there. So our prayer is that you will find some peace. We pray that you'll have your ears open in the next few weeks and allow God to de- dig down deep in you and start to root out that guilt and shame that has kept you in hiding. Why are you hiding, you see? Just like Adam behind the tree. Now, it would be amiss of me to not say this. That as we go forward into these other weeks, and as serious as it might get in confrontation, as God confronts us with the guilt and shame in our lives, I hope you're open to that. I hope you're ready for that. I hope you pray for that. But I want you to hear some great news. Is that the cross of Jesus Christ deals with guilt. I mean, listen to this. Romans 3, starting with verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward by this propitiation, by this payment that He's made for us by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus paid the price for our guilt, our real guilt. Think about that for just a second. Think about what... What Paul is writing here in Romans, that Jesus is the justifier. And if you have faith in him through the cross, he has taken our guilt upon himself. And that guilt died with him. The actual guilt, the actual wrongdoings, the actual sin that we've committed. The cross has dealt with guilt. You also need to know this. And maybe a lot of us don't talk about this as much as we should. But the cross has dealt with shame. And I mean all of it. Not just the moral shame, but the imposed shame. The things you're not even guilty of. The irony of this is that Hebrews tells us in in chapter 12, verse uh, verse, uh, 1 and following, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the irony. Jesus, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, used the shameful things of the world to shame the wise. Jesus took the cross, the actual crucifixion, which was the most shameful death a man or woman could die. And he takes that and he uses that to overcome your shame. To overcome mine. So Paul writes in Romans 10, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, 
everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. I love how he uses the word shame there at the end. And like I said, it's kind, of, it's kind of difficult. The word shame is used in so many different ways. But understand this, that the cross, Jesus dealt with our shame. He took the most shameful thing to deal with our shame. Now, how did he deal with the shame? What, what does that mean? It means that he took all the shame of the world upon him, just like he did with guilt. The very reason why we're hiding from God, Jesus has taken that away. That curtain veil tore from top to bottom, symbolizing that the Holy of Holies is now open, that you have entry into God and God into you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have no, we have no longer any separation, that we do not long, any longer have to hide ourselves, that we can be out in the open with God himself. This is amazing when you think about what is being said here by Paul, that the shame... Uh, that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, that God himself does not see us as shameful beings. It's amazing. You know, I, I really hope and pray now. I, I know that the definitions of guilt and shame are going to come up again in the next few weeks. And these guys are going to do a great job hitting these really hard topics. I hope you listen. I hope you're praying. But I want you to understand something. It's so important for us to understand this, I believe anyway, this, this, this one last point that I have to make. And that is that if you really want to see guilt and shame melt away from your life, then you must surrender. You must surrender to Jesus. He dealt with on the cross and he said that we have got to surrender to him. He has to become more important to us than the things that we love to hold on to even. We have to, by faith, believe that we are no longer shameful beings or we will keep the shame with us the rest of our lives. Now, I I told this story a while back. It's been a long time ago, actually, but it fits so well in this sermon, I'm gonna tell it again. Now, one of my sons, well, let's see. Bethany, uh, my daughter, and I have three sons, uh, Drew, Reed, and Brady. Uh, but when they were young, Brady wasn't around yet, and the, uh, the other three uh, uh, were getting ready for bed one night. Now, Drew, my oldest son, he was only four years old, and he had this, he had this uh, habit of always waving goodbye to me every time I would leave. And he would do it in such a way as that he would actually come to the door. We have one of those you know, doors that, that has a glass and the, uh, the little latch thing. He'd come to that door and he'd wave and then sometimes he'd open up the door and he would run outside while I'm backing out in the car and he'd wave at me and then he'd chase me down to the corner sometimes and even wave as I'm leaving because he loved me. And I, I, I remember that so well. Uh, and all my kids have displayed love to me in, in so many different ways. And that means so much. Now, one night we were getting everybody ready for bed and my wife was up getting them all ready for bed. And for some reason I had to go to the church about nine o'clock at night that night. And so I, I got in my car. Well, Drew heard the car start up. He knew I was leaving. And so when Charlotte was out of the room, he darted down and started waving at the door, four years old. And I waved back. And when I started to leave the drive, he came outside. But this time, apparently he was getting ready for a, ready for a bath because this time he didn't have a stitch of clothing on. I mean, he was stark naked outside. And he was just proud of it, apparently, just, you know, waving. 
And I, I just remember thinking to myself and praying, oh, God, please don't let him run down at the corner. You know, what are the neighbors going to think? <laughs> I was ashamed. Now, when I, th- when I thought about that, and I, and I, I actually used that illustration then, uh, like in the following week or the week after that, and it really hit me hard uh, when, I was, when I was telling it to people. And that is the way we are. Shouldn't, we, that, be the, shouldn't that be the way we are with God? See, I meant so much to him, he didn't care what other people thought. I meant so much to him that he felt free and uninhibited to come outside. See, my prayer for you is that God will become and Jesus will become so important to you and that you will realize what, it, what he has done for you on that cross that you will become uninhibited. You see, guilt is something Jesus can forgive and take away. But shame, he takes it away, but he gives you a new identity. He makes you clean. If I stuck with myself and everything I know and think about myself, I'd be ashamed the rest of my life. I have found a new identity in Christ, for the old is gone and the new has come. And so I ask you, if you haven't made that commitment to Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered, hit that, re- hit that respond button now. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to pray, that's all we're going to do. We're not going to send you a lot of emails and do a lot of things. We're just going to contact you and pray with you. If you need to do that, hit that respond button. But I want you to make even a, this, this is the biggest commitment I want you to make. And that is for the next few weeks to keep tuning in and listening and let the Holy Spirit work on you with depression and anxiety issues, the guilt and shame that comes with that, with sexuality and the sins of sexuality and the guilt and shame that comes with that and the guilt and shame that comes with relationships and torn relationships and broken relationships and allow him to make you clean so that you will quit hiding and come out to see your father once again. Let me pray for you. Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you for what you've done on the cross. And Father, I pray even if we don't understand it, that we might start to understand what it really means, what you've really done, how you've taken real guilt and have, have banished it from us, how, you, how you've en- enabled us to have a new identity just because we believe, just because we, we confess with our mouth. and just be, Lord God, thank you for saving us. But Father, if there's, if there's someone here right now that's listening to my voice who is unsure of that, who has who is, who is never, ever, ever really shown themselves truly for who they are in front of you, then Father God, I, I pray they'll come out from hiding. And I pray that you, you will just bless them and light, lead them to, to where they need to be in Jesus Christ. Thank you, and I pray for all of our, our brothers and sisters right now that are listening to my voice. I pray for the families. I pray for your blessing on them. And may we come back next week ready to dig into your word once again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.